show. How are you? It is Daniel Workman coming to you live from the Dreamaginate Sports Studios. It is 9 a.m. on the East Coast. This is your 6 a.m. early morning wake-up call out west and all time zones in between and around the world. Thanks for tuning in. As we mentioned yesterday, for the for at least the next few weeks, we will be uh, starting uh, our show back at our original start time when we launched this show at 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, and uh, we will uh, we will go from there. A um, lot of lot going on in in the world uh, as we talked about and referenced yesterday. Um, all of these cancellations to sports and other things uh, playing a large role in uh, in in the landscape of where we are uh, in in global soccer, domestic soccer, sports in general, and uh, you know when we when we uh, look at uh, where we are, um, you know the these are weird times. And, um, so it is, uh, it is a time though, because of what we're seeing, um, it's a time for us to have a little bit of space to, to be able to really dig into some things that need to be dug into. And one of those areas when it, when it concerns domestic soccer, when it, when we talk about American soccer is the Federation. The U S soccer Federation is, uh, is a nonprofit organization. It is the national governing body for soccer in America. And it is, uh, it is led by a 15 person board of directors. These are volunteer positions but don't let the volunteerism fool you. There are plenty of people on the board who profit from being on the board in, in a variety of ways. Not all of them, but some of them. Don Garber's one. He's an easy one to, to figure out. Um, you know, his contract uh, with the U.S. Soccer Federation through Soccer United Marketing pays him a lot of money every year. Um, he's had uh, eight-figure bonuses in the past due to his work with the Federation. Uh, but others have made money over the years uh, through different schemes and uh, different avenues. So, it, you know, it's a little disingenuous when you hear that. But when we look at what's going on right now with the board, what we're seeing is is a is a is a real lack of oversight, a real lack of management. Uh, and um, late last night, there were uh, you know some um, comments from the new president of the federation. And what I don't understand is why are, why are we continuing to do these things in the dark? I mean. You know, it's been days, no public statement, no public media availability. And we release a statement from the new president about this women's national team case. And it comes out late at night. Why not in the middle of the day? Why not release these things in the light? Why not let people know? Why not send them directly to the Federation members? Why not keep everyone up to up to? you know, to speed. I, I just, I don't understand. And this goes to, to, you know, the article that we released in the blog yesterday talking about the lack of transparency. It is a cultural problem. And within the board, it's been permeating throughout U.S. soccer as a federation for a while, but it, it begins with the board. The board is the oversight. The board is, is who is responsible for cultural management. Not, not necessarily day-to-day management, but they're responsible for cultural management, setting the tone, and that starts within the board. Late last night in the Washington Post, new, new U.S. soccer, this is Stephen Goff, new U.S. soccer president laments, quote, off- offensive assertions, in quote, in court filing that prompted U.S. women's national team backlash. The new president of the U.S. Soccer Federation said late Monday that the language used in a recent court filing was an error, that resulted from a fundamental breakdown in our internal process that led to offensive assertions. 
Cindy Parlocone, who ascended from vice president last Thursday following Carlos Cordero's resignation, issued a written, written statement, which we are going to read here in just a moment, as the Federation submitted a final filing in a request for summary judgment in the U.S. Women's National Team's gender discrimination lawsuit. The new filing removes the language that caused an uproar and led to Cordero leaving his post after two years. The Federation had said a male player requires a, quote, higher level of skill than a female player, and the men have, quote, more responsibility than women. The backlash from the women's team and U.S. soccer sponsors was swift. So let's look at the statement um, from Cindy Cohn, Cindy Parlo Cohn, late last night. And uh, and the subsequent uh, statement from the spokesperson, spokeswoman for the U.S. Women's National Team, Molly Levinson, uh, as well, to to get an idea of you know at least some thoughts from what is going on, even if it is uh, not necessarily as transparent, forthright as we would like. This is the statement from uh, Cindy Parlo Cohn. Last week's legal filing was an error. It resulted from a fundamental breakdown in our t- internal process that led to offensive assertions made by the Federation that do not re- represent our core values. We are taking a number of steps to address the issue. First, today's brief. The final filing in a request for summary judgment excludes the offensive language it contained. That language neither represents my position nor the view of the Federation. Second, we are transitioning to Latham and Watkins Law Firm as our lead counsel moving forward. As you'll see from the brief, it is signed by the Latham Law Firm and represents the work they have done over the last week. Finally, we are going to do a comprehensive review of our internal process to better understand how this breakdown occurred and how it can be avoided in the future. I expect that review to be completed shortly. The last week has been difficult for everyone involved in our sport, especially with this occurring on top of the realities of COVID-19 that we are all enduring at this time. It is our obligation to move quickly to repair the damage that has been done. I am committed to addressing this issue in an honest, transparent, and forthright manner. The women's national team is the most successful soccer team in the world. As it relates to the lawsuit filed by the women, I offer the perspective of a former player. I know how it is for both the Federation and the players to move beyond this and keep working together on what unites us. We only have one Federation and one senior women's national team. We have to work together and move move forward in a positive manner toward what I know are mutual goals, growing the game and winning. We are still hopeful we can find a positive resolution for both sides. I look forward to working with the women's national team in all parts of our soccer community to continue to grow the sport and bring us all together. Before I, I dig into any last thoughts here on this statement, I'm going to also give you the uh, the comment from Molly Levinson, the uh, spokeswoman for the U.S. women's national team. First, To everyone, please stay safe and healthy. Second, these latest filings demonstrate that U.S. soccer has jettisoned its primary legal arguments after losing sponsor and fan support for their blatant misogyny and is instead now trying to return to the argument which the court has already rejected as, quote, absurd, the claim that women players were paid more. As the court found, this argument is is based on the fact that the women players played more games and won virtually every game they played. They thus earn more compensation despite ongoing discrimination, which is not a defense to an equal pay claim. What equality requires is the same opportunity to earn as much as the men. This opportunity has been repeatedly denied. U.S. soccer also returns to its false argument that the women players chose other benefits over equal pay in bargaining. The women players sought equal pay and U.S. soccer refused. This is also not a defense to an equal pay violation. These are times for unity, not division. U.S. soccer should stop trying to change the conversation and just change. Pay women players equally. Um, Looking at where where this is and and these statements, it, it seems to be, at least at the moment, that we are nowhere near a settlement. Um... 
the statement from U.S. Soccer through Cindy Parlo Cohn, uh, the new president, as well as the spokeswoman Molly Levinson for the U.S. Women's National Team, makes it clear that we are still staring uh, across at each other without any hope of a resolution. Um, and and what is disturbing is uh, something that we we wrote about a couple days ago. Uh, which is this, um, that that the Federation's board, uh, as Cindy says, is going to do a comprehensive review of our internal process to better understand how this breakdown occurred and how it can be avoided in the future. That is not enough. To trust those who mismanaged this and many other things to manage a comprehensive review and, and take that as a final a word or authority on what needs to take place is absurd. This is a time to call for an independent commission to review internal board processes. There are many things that need to change about this board and the way it has been run for years. Votes not being on record, as we talked about yesterday in the, the blog, a, a lack of transparency, the, the overuse of uh, a, a thing called executive session where things are discussed in private and not on the record. And you don't know where people stand. You don't know uh, what discussions are actually being had. This board of directors has been has been doing things for so long, and there I think there are some really good people on the board. I think there are people that are well-meaning on the board that want to do well, that want to do right by American soccer. However, all of them are culpable. All of them are part of this. All of them uh, need to to be accountable and. We should not leave it to them to manage their own review of themselves. That is what's going on here, and that's what the statement says, and this is troubling uh, as the, the first public statement from Cindy Parlocone in regards to where we are uh, in, the, in the landscape of this whole situation. To think that the Federation is even capable of managing its own quote-unquote comprehensive review is uh is disappointing uh, this is a time for drastic measures bold leadership decisive action and uh and part of that action needs to be a call for an independent review and it needs it basically needs an organizational audit how the board is run, what the policies are. And uh, I'm afraid the board, when that comprehensive review was completed, uh, would not enjoy reading uh, the review because there are so many areas, uh, conflicts of interest, um, financial policies, situations like this where um you know board members are claiming they didn't even were not even aware of legal tactics uh being employed by the federation your job is oversight and yet you didn't provide any and you're claiming uh after the fact that you shouldn't be blamed for that because you didn't see it beforehand that is a problem you should have seen it and uh and and so all of these things going on and looking at where they are, are are disturbing, and it's why we need an independent commission uh, to really have a full review of where things are and where things, quite frankly, need to start going. Where reforms and changes need to be implemented. Uh, yesterday, I, I was uh, on uh, on Twitter and I was you know interacting with some uh, different people uh, surrounding some of these topics, and um, and I came across uh, someone who was talking about how excited they were for their order from Ductic Brand uh, to, to come, and they just and they kept refreshing the tracking just to see where it was because they were so excited it's coming to their house. You can uh, you can be a part of that excitement by going to ducticbrand.com d u k t i g brand.com place an order and when you do you'll get uh, 10% off of your order if you use promo code DW show again that is D 
W show. You'll get 10% off of your order at ductickbrand.com. Now is as good a time as any, while many coaches around the country have some downtime to restock on supplies and resources. Ductickbrand.com is the place you can do that uh, to be a better coach and a better player. Um, check them out at ductickbrand.com today. We'll be right back after this. Tuesday. It is St. Patrick's Day, and I don't know if you can tell if you're watching the show. Uh, I do have on a green shirt, so you know if you see me around uh, today, you can't pinch me. It's it's an olive green, but it is green, and this will be one of the weirdest St. Patrick's days uh, that I can uh, ever remember. Uh, and uh, and and so you know, in light of all of that, uh, as our next guest, uh, Dave Lariba, the executive director of West Virginia. Soccer Association uh, was telling me in the break here uh, it must be a slow news day if he's coming on the air, which is simply just not the case, Dave. Um, it, it is always great to catch up with you. How are you? I'm good. Trying to navigate the current landscape like everybody else. Speaking speaking of the landscape of uh, where we are and what's going on, um, in in your decades of service to the game and in obviously working in different areas, different roles, different positions uh, within the game, uh, have you ever seen anything like this? No, I, I haven't. the The only thing that that um, that comes close was nine eleven, uh, because it did it did shock everyone and it did shut down a lot of things. It did change the way our lives were run, um, and so you know that was that was kind of a a changer in in many ways. Um, this this is something I've never I've never experienced anything like this. So in uh, in in this process, um, when when you started to see uh, you know things start to kind of swirl about 
you know, okay, we're seeing some breakouts or, or, you know, that the coronavirus has kind of hit the U.S. and then started to get more and more serious. Uh, eventually, it reached a place uh, a few days ago where your state uh, association basically put uh, West Virginia soccer on lockdown for, for the time being. Uh, the first thing I, I want to ask you is uh, – uh, at what what kind of went to to leading you into that decision because you you seem to be a little bit ahead of the curve in terms of where some others were in terms of you know saying okay hey we're going to take a break what what kind of went into that decision what what discussions were being had there in West Virginia to to be preemptive and proactive in that in uh, you know regarding this issue well it was started out. Um Last early last week, with uh, we had scheduled uh, state league games for our our uh, under twelve and under groups, the boys this past weekend and the girls the weekend coming up, and basically the way we structure our spring program for the state level, other than those games, we're basically dark through March and April to let our clubs go to tournaments and showcases, and then we pick up with our state cup and our ODP in, in May. And um, so shutting down those two weekends uh, and moving them to, to May was not really that disruptive a decision for us at the state level. And that our, our board got behind that pretty quick. And we put out the basic information that was coming out from USYS and, and others about, you know, what to do and to, how to take care of yourself and, and that kind of stuff. Um, and then, you know, the next day we had a conference call with USYS and things had gotten a little bit more advanced. And um, so we basically, you know, recommended the, this, the things that USYS had said, um, you know, no limit your travel out of state and, um, limit, you know, not don't, don't travel by air we don't have very many teams or people traveling by air. Uh, in the meantime, we had our referee staff going to Chicago last weekend for the um, uh, annual referee administrators meeting. Uh, U.S. Soccer pulled the plug on that, uh, so we had to then start, you know, getting people. On, you know, people were already on their way, getting that down. We had people on the way to Kansas City for the top soccer national symposium that got pulled. So, you know, we're, we're doing all those kind of things. And, uh, so then on the advice of talking with us, you soccer and talking with, you know, looking at what the CDC and, and all those folks were doing. Um, we basically said that we were going to lock down all the state stuff, you know, temporarily, but again, that wasn't very, much but we were going to uh, recommend the local rec clubs just determine the what was going on in their area and make a decision on their training uh, most of our rec clubs had won't start till probably the first of April anyway and then our travel we advised our travel clubs to look at where they were going and what the tournament what the situation was there and make a determination uh, then, you know, a lot of the tournaments, the Jefferson Cup, which is a big tournament in this part of our country, uh, they canceled their whole four weeks that they have uh, in, in March. They canceled all of those. And so those kind of things fell in place. That was up till till Wednesday. So in this process, um, did you ever receive any kind of specific directives from U.S. soccer, U.S. youth soccer, or anyone else uh, in regards to, you know, this is what, you know, we want or, or we were asking or demanding, you know, that your state association do X, Y, or Z? Did you get any kind of directives or were you just kind of getting information and kind of being, you know, left uh, to, to make your own decisions as a, as a board there in West Virginia? We were getting recommendations. Uh, U.S. soccer and U.S. youth soccer both have the position that the state associations are all independent. Um, 
you know, 501c3 corporations and they not sure they can tell us what to do uh, in these kind of situations, but they would recommend and basically say, especially from USYS, if we could tell you to do this, if we felt that we could tell you, we would tell you that. So we took that as we needed to do this. And our board was very supportive. We had board calls on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Thursday um, evenings, and the board was was very supportive of uh, of taking the actions we took. And then, of course, on on Thursday, U.S. Adult Soccer came out with a uh, "We're telling you, you you need to stop everything all the way down to the local level," um, and. Again, not sure that they have any more power to do that than anybody else does. Um, as a joint state with youth and adult, we felt um, our staff recommendation to the board and the board agreed that we can't tell the adults, you can't play at the local level, but the youth, you make your own decision. So our board took the decision that we would shut everything down um, through the end of March. And we review, um, you know, coming up the end of before the end of March, we would take a review to see what happens. Um, and we put that together. We got that out to the membership, and um, the membership has uh, understood. Uh, you know, there were people that when we said we we recommended that they, you know, review. People said, "Why don't you just tell us not to?" You know, and again, I'm not sure. You know. You know, again, we've got members that are independent, 501c3 corporations. Can we, how much can we tell them? But we told them and they're, they're doing it. So that's basically how that progressed from Tuesday or Monday. Everything was good. And then to, to Thursday, Friday, we, we shut down at least to the end of March. And then we're doing, we're doing planning for, for May, what, what we can, what we can do. So, uh, during this, this, uh, you know, obviously the last few days have not really been downtime. As you mentioned, you've been doing, handling, handling a lot of logistics, uh, behind the scenes, conversations, planning, figuring out, you know, what, what's going on and, and what, what's coming. Um, but, uh, I imagine, uh, over the next few weeks, uh, you may have uh, a little time to uh, to get into uh, some of the other things you're involved in uh, with the federation, and that concerns uh, safe sport. Uh, what is your role in in terms of overseeing any of those appeals or cases, or being involved in that? And 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 what has the volume of cases been like as the federation has made this a, a big priority uh, to to try to uh, you know, clean up and 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 address uh, you know any potential uh, issues uh, within the sport. Uh, well, you know, we we obviously have this the safe sport um, activities that we're doing within the state, the training and the the uh, policies that we put together uh, for limiting the one on one interactions and and those type of things, the background checks. And so on the state level, that's still going on. We're still providing that service uh, to our to our members uh, as far as uh, and I would just say you may know from from talking to uh, Chris Kessel that we had our AGM workshop uh, on the 7th of March and a kind of lucky timing because it had been in next weekend. We would have had to cancel it. Uh, and Greg Fike uh, from U.S. Soccer Legal Department came in. And gave a really, really good presentation to our membership on on Sageport. And uh, actually, it was we had several people. We had a referee seminar going on, and we had someone from from Chicago that had come in for that. And uh, people were were, were going to spend the first couple hours on the Sageport, and then go to the referees. And they all stayed in the Sageport because it was a really good presentation, letting people know what was going on and some of the new changes. So that that's what we're doing on the state level. On the national level, I am, I have been for 25 years, uh, a member of the U uh, S soccer appeals committee. And um, I guess I'm, you know, I'm one of the senior members now and uh, we, 
we are tasked with doing uh, reviews of people who have get, gotten a quote-unquote red light from the uh, background check system that the Federation puts through their like DA coaches, um, and national team folks, and then um, uh, referees now. Referees are starting to register directly through the Federation, and they have to take the Federation-level background check. That background check is um, basically based on the USOPC level that the only thing that gets you a green light is a not guilty verdict. Anything else, you have to be reviewed. It has to be reviewed. And I would say, if you say, well, why? Well, you know, a lot of, if you look at some of the gymnastics and swimming and other cases, people would bring up a complaint and then it would get, you know, shunted aside, there would be a settlement, there would be maybe there would be, uh, you know, some money uh, paid, you know, damages paid, whatever. But the person was not, you know, nothing was done to the person to keep them from participating. And but there was no, you know, nobody was found guilty of anything. And um, so basically, I think that's, you know, that in a nutshell is why Congress and, and the U.S. Center for Safe Sport has put in this this level that, you know, if it was anything but a not guilty verdict, we want someone to, to review it and see if there's anything there, why maybe that person, even though they, they you know, they settled the case or was dismissed, was it dismissed because the person didn't show up, was there still evidence, that kind of thing. Um, and so if someone that is uh, under that system with the Federation gets a red light on their background check. The uh, Federation appoints a three-person panel to review uh, that case and then make a determination whether the panel feels that there's uh, significant evidence that the person should not um, continue or that uh, it's, you know, based on the case that the person should be able to uh, register. And the volume is basically Monday through well, Sunday through Thursday. They're doing five cases a day, um, and they're scheduled for an hour each one. They don't a lot of times don't take that long. And on Friday, a lot of, a lot of times there's two during the day. Now Saturday is pretty much dark. The Sunday night there's there's usually two, two or three Sunday nights. Um, I have two tonight. You know, I mean, I have actually have one this afternoon and one tonight. Um, and other folks will have, you know, there'll be folks doing, doing those. So it's, uh, it's a pretty high volume of cases. We're trying to get through them as quickly as possible. I know that you know, with everything else going on with the virus, with, with the change in leadership, uh, you know, the legal department is, uh, is, is working. Uh, you know, as quickly as possible to get uh, get these folks cleared, and if if they need to be cleared, and and back on the field. So, um, speaking of kind of you know the field and leveling the field, the the West Virginia Soccer Association at the AGM just about you know four or five weeks ago in Nashville, Tennessee, had uh, proposed a policy to level the playing field within the professional council uh, to essentially eliminate the gender discrimination that we see in the weights of voting uh, within the council in terms of uh, divisional sanctioned leagues. Uh, so just for the audience uh, without getting too far into the weeds of the actual policy the the gist of it was to basically say that if you were a first division women's professional outdoor soccer league uh, you get the same voting weight or or percentage uh, or number of votes as the first division men's outdoor professional league um second for men second for women's the same so on and so forth uh all the way down uh, however far uh the federation ever chooses to go in in that uh uh set of uh, professional leagues and divisional sanctions that policy was ultimately um you know 
kind of kicked out from the board after I know you guys did some back and forth uh, with with the board and with Greg Fike over, you know, uh, wording and terminology uh for months trying to get this thing crafted uh to go up for a vote and then ultimately uh it was it was ruled that it it really needed to be more attacked from a bylaw perspective than a policy perspective Uh, what did you learn in that process and and what are you going to take from that going forward to to continue to try to address this issue you know it was an interesting process uh is in all my years uh, doing this and working with the Federation. Uh, I've never been involved in a policy bylaw uh, situation um, that was, you know, coming from, from the state association or other member. I was involved as uh, a member and chair of the appeals committee back in the uh, early 2000s, 1999 in drafting the current, um, U.S. soccer bylaws on appeals and and uh, that kind of stuff that was directed by the USOC at that time, and so I was involved with that with staff, but that was you know kind of coming from the federation and this was directed by the USOC, so it was wasn't kind of like well you guys can vote this down, you really can't. USOC says we have to do this, so here's here's how we do it, and uh, you know that was a little different then we're trying to change something that the Federation, you know, I guess, or the, you know, doesn't, doesn't really, isn't uh, wanting to change. So um, it, it was, it was, it was educational and it was frustrating. Um, we did want it to try to be a policy because the policy is just, uh, you know, 50% plus one um, to pass a bylaw is two thirds. Obviously it's harder with the weighted vote of, uh, of the federation, um, and uh, so we were we were just trying to see if we could get the playing field leveled. At at the end of the day, um, you know, it was apparent with the rules committee, you know, twice telling us we needed to come back with a bylaw, with the board of directors twice agreeing with the um, with the rules committee, and that they were going to make, you know, their recommendation would have been that. It's not supported with, again, with the weighted vote. Um, you know, I didn't really see the, the, the need to get into a fight over it on the floor. So we withdrew the motion and said that we would bring it back, uh, work on a bylaw with staff and, and try to bring it back next year. I did make a comment that um, the pro council under the bylaw, according to the rules committee, the pro council can fix this themselves right now. They have the authority to fix it and they can fix, fix it. If they would like to, they can fix it. So I basically, I don't want to say challenge, but I, I uh, reminded the pro council that they could fix this on their own. And I would hope that they would. Yes, uh, I agree. And, uh, you know, it's something that, uh, you know, when you look at uh, the U.S. soccer bylaws and policies, um, there there are quite a few that are, um, you know, either poorly written or, or head scratchers. And uh, the, the the fact here that we don't have uh, a, lev- a level playing field and, and at the same time we're dealing with the legal case uh, of the, in particular, there's several legal cases as we know, but uh, the one that's getting most of the headlines over the last, uh, you know, week and a half or so is the U.S. Women's National Team case. And, and, and that is dealing with the same uh, bit of accusation here, the, the gender discrimination um to me you know you're right that this is an area where the professional council could handle it um over the long run i still think the the idea of a policy uh, or um a bylaw uh being written in uh 
a, a a check mark of accountability and transparency would still be best. But I agree with you that the uh, professional council um, and and let's be clear, the the professional council is Don Garber. He he holds the majority of the votes. It's really up to him whether whether he uh, chooses to adopt the policy. Um, he he has the majority of the weight there and the majority of uh, of the of the power and influence there to to make things uh, you know happen within that council or not happen within that council and so um, you know th- that is an area I, I would love to see uh, them you know take on themselves uh, but I am encouraged that you guys are continuing to have internal conversations about a, a revised and uh, and revamped uh, proposal for the future uh, because it is necessary um, speaking yeah, of you know you you know you and, and probably most of your listeners know Chris Kessel this thing we're not this isn't going away we're not going to just drop this um you know, if you know anything about Chris, uh, is you know, and he's kind of the the force with this. Uh, we have got behind it with him and are you know helping with it. Um, he's a member of our board, and um, you know, it's not something that that's gonna. So I would forget it. We're not gonna keep going. We're gonna we're gonna bring it back up. But of course, right now, there's a lot of other issues. Uh, you know, the, the lawsuit with the women's national team, the change in leadership, uh, the, the virus. I mean, there, there's, there's a lot of other things right now that has attention of not just, you know, us, but obviously the Federation and the various members. Uh, certainly. And, uh, Knowing Chris, uh, a friend of mine, and obviously uh, a friend of yours, and and someone we we uh, we talk to uh, quite frequently, uh, we both know he's not going to to let that go. And uh, and knowing you as well as I do, I don't think it's anything you're going to let go either. Uh, uh, I think I think it's uh, it's great that the West Virginia Soccer Association has uh, really taken up uh, the mantle on on this uh, equality issue within the professional council it's to me uh, it's necessary and, uh, and and really falls in line with a lot of the things uh, that we're seeing right now uh, that that u.s soccer has been struggling with and, and there are some some um, you know to me clear uh, fixes to these situations they may not be uh, fixes that uh, certain parties want to adopt but it nevertheless changes the fact that there are some very clear uh, choices here to be made and, and I think should be made and, and uh, kudos to uh, you know your association for getting behind this and backing this and uh, and, and seeing this thing through um, speaking of, of the change of leadership that you mentioned last week Carlos Cordero resigned in, in light of all of the, the pressure uh, that we saw sponsors coming out we saw media pressure um really to me in an unprecedented way um i would say the last time we saw anything like this and and i don't even think it ever reached this level uh was uh you know the 24 48 hours after uh the u.s men's national team failed to qualify for the 2018 world cup with the loss to trinidad and tobago we we saw a little bit of media pressure but we didn't see anything from sponsors or anything near that level this is the the most media pressure and the most uh, sponsor pressure that that I can ever recall, and I, I wanted to get your uh, you know thoughts on that. Have you ever seen this level of scrutiny from the media and or the sponsors of the federation uh, as we've seen in the last week or so? Uh, uh, no, you're you're right. There was the the next thing is the issue that led up to a uh, seal stepping down. Um, but you know, that brought, that brought us Carlos to be president. Um, the, um, this, this was unprecedented. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, Carlos, Carlos did what he had to do. Um, you know, there was no way that, that he could, that he could remain uh, in his position. Um, um, 
I am uh, I'm hopeful that under new leadership there can be some way forward. Uh, you know, but as you know, I think, and I'm you know, some of your listeners may know. You know, one of the issues with the Federation, and I've seen a lot of calls, well, the whole board should be replaced and everybody should should go away. <clears throat> the problem is, you know, there are only two positions on the board that are elected by the membership, and that's the president and the vice president. And so now, right now, we don't have a, a president. I mean, a vice president. We have a president. We have no vice president. Um, and the, the past president is a non-voting member of the board which now becomes Carlos uh, and Sunil, uh would step off. Everybody else is elected by a constituent group. And, you know, if, if you replace uh, person A uh, that's representing their constituent group, but they're the, they're in charge of that constituent group. And so person B comes on from that group is there is there really any difference? You know what I'm saying? Uh, absolutely, and and this really gets to the heart of the matter. Um, you know this well. You've been around the Federation for for a long time. Um, I I've done a lot of study on this subject as well. Um, and 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 to me, uh, this is why. Uh, I think it's completely uh, appropriate and, and I even, I feel necessary um, that we, the board, but the Federation itself, um, you know, convenes an independent commission to review the board policies and procedures, etc. Because even if you do switch out the names in the, uh, on the name tags of who's sitting in what seat, um, you know, are we really changing anything? And, and to not even have to get to the point that, that you're speaking about, you know, if you swap out a, a youth representative with another youth representative, are we really changing anything other than the, the person sitting in the seat? Uh, you know, are they still going to culturally, are we still going to be in the same spot? Um, we don't even have to go that far yet in, in this uh, examination of where we are. Um, I mean, the, really the only thing that changed uh, in, in the last few days regarding the board is that uh, Sunil Gulati is no longer past president and, and on the board in, a, in an official capacity, although uh, I very uh, much doubt that he's going to fade into the, into the background and into the distance. He's still a FIFA Exco member uh, and and quite involved still uh, with the Federation in various ways. Um, but Carlos Cordero becomes past president. Cindy Cohn um, has been, uh, you know, promoted to president to fill the vacancy, which, as you mentioned, leaves the, uh, the vice presidential position vacant until the next AGM uh, in 2021. And, and her president's, uh, position becomes uh, up for election as well per the bylaws of U.S. soccer. So we'll have president and vice presidential elections um, coming up at the next AGM. The only two board seats that the membership can vote for. Um, and, you know, if you look at where we are right now in this moment, um, what has really changed other than, other than, you know, saying Carlos Cordero is no longer president, uh, acting president, uh, you know, he's still there as past president. Now, you know, it's up to him how much he involves himself or not. Um, and Cindy Cohn moving from vice president to president, uh, but everything else on the board is, is largely still the same and as you point out even if we begin to try to go through a merry-go-round of of personnel fulfilling different roles or positions on the board they're still coming from the same constituencies um are we really changing things which gets to this point of how you know how do we look at where we are in in correct things which is why i go back to this independent commission uh which to me i think would be helpful to to give us some you know some some 
outside perspective as to some things that could be done better, some things that, that need to change and, you know, could get all the way down into who knows what we talked about a moment ago. The fact that the professional council doesn't even have equal voting weight with the women. That could be something that could be part of that independent commission where they look at that all parts of the federation and say, Hey, here's some bylaws that are troubling. Here's some policies that could, that are, there are an issue that you need to address. Um, that that govern how the board operates, etc. Um, because I, I look at where we are, and I don't really see anything has changed uh, that much. Um, and 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 yet, you know, I'm hopeful um, that Cindy Parlocone, as president, is able to begin to to lead the federation into a, a different direction. Uh, but but the skeptic in me looking at the culture of the board and the constituencies of the board and the way that the board is constructed, you know, it, it makes it really hard to see progressive and aggressive, uh, introspection changes, uh, recommendations, reviews, etc. I wanted to get your thoughts on, on, on that to kind of elaborate what you're talking about, about, you know, the constituent, constituencies and the makeup of the board because i think a lot of people don't understand the construction of this particular board people think board let's throw them all out but they don't really understand where do the replacements come from and in fact are they are they going to be different uh because of how the board and the makeup of the board is constructed i would say that um, the biggest difference you ask the difference uh, after the change is we now have um, you know Cindy Parlo Cohn, uh, obviously a woman, a past women's national team player, and not just a player, a standout player, someone who's won a World Cup, two Olympics. Um, I think she's in the Hall of Fame. Um, it's you know this is someone who has represented the country, who has pride in that women's national team. And um, so I hope that the perspective that she brings um, can, can help bridge, bridge the divide that we have. Um, and so I think that's, that's the one thing. I mean, in the 100 and however seven years of the Federation, it's the first time, you know, uh, a woman has been the leader. There aren't very many women leaders of of uh, national federations uh, in within FIFA. Uh, so I think it's an opportunity. Uh, I think the other thing for change is that um, the board members now all of a sudden there's there's light being shined on the situation. They're being asked questions uh, whether they were just complacent whether they were just not asking questions now they have to ask questions now they're being put under pressure by their constituents to to come up with answers uh what have you know the old back from the from the watergate time which obviously you don't remember but um you know what did you know and when did you know it you know that's that's the kind of question that that's it's out there i think that I think that a review of of how this was allowed to happen is is good. Uh, you know, I would just say that you know, USYS and USASA both over the past four or five years have had um, drastic changes in their bylaws and policies and how they operate. And it was all done pretty much internal. They brought in some outside consultants to have meetings and and to get ideas and, and to, to bring some uh, conversation. But then the final product was internal because the members have to vote for it. And um, it was contentious and there was feelings hurt. And But at the end of the day, both organizations have changed how they operate. And, uh, you, know, I, you know, right looks, all things look promising. Right now, a couple of years into to the changes, there's no reason the federation couldn't do the same thing. Get some consultants, have some 
constituent meetings, look at the bylaws, look at look at the processes, and come back. the The big issue is because there's so many different constituencies um, in in the federation. You know, it's not while well, a majority says let's do this. It's the weighted vote, and so you, it's not as easy to make a change as it might be in some of the uh, uh, the the member organizations that are under the federation. It's a little harder to change. You know, it's like stopping an aircraft carrier. Uh, you know, it takes a while, and turning it around takes even longer. So, um, but I think some some type of review has to happen. But I think at the end of the day, it can't be totally outside or it'll never, nothing will ever pass. There has to be buy-in from all the various constituencies, the athletes council, the pro council, the youth council, the adult council, the other members, they all have to have to buy in. And that's the difficulty in, in passing anything that takes more than a majority vote. Yeah, I, I, I agree. There has to be buy-in. Uh, my point on the independent commission is more about recommendations of areas to, to look at and address, not necessarily, um, you know, the to, to do everything for the board. It's not to do the board's job, but really more of a almost like an org, organizational audit uh, that could kind of give them, I think, uh, some things to, to review. And, and, you know, I would hope and, and I, I believe that there are well-meaning people all throughout the Federation who, you know, could take, uh, you know, some, some of the, this feedback and information and go, okay, Hey, look, I haven't necessarily thought of it that way, but that could work. Um, and I, I think, I think it would just be good to kind of get a new set of eyes on the situation to, to really, um, you know, give, give the, the board at the Federation level, which is really responsible for, you know, for the culture, setting the culture for the, for the organization to, to, to kind of have a review to, to really understand where they are and what they're doing and how they're running. Um, you know, because I don't know even internally how much the board realizes, um, you know, all of the things that are, um, you know, at issue here. And, uh, and, and so I just think an independent set of eyes would, would definitely help in that. Uh, well, Dave, look, thank you always, uh, as, as for coming on the show and as you do to provide your, your insight and, and you have such a, a good perspective with your, with your uh, time in the Federation and working within the game, um, you know, to, to provide our viewers uh, with, with a perspective that, that, you may not normally hear and so I, I i appreciate you coming on and uh and and sharing with us today uh best of luck as you guys navigate this uh coronavirus uh situation there in west virginia and um you know uh, continue the great work that you guys are doing we uh, look forward to having you back on again soon well, i appreciate that and, and you know uh you know west virginia is is uh the, the least cases in in, uh, in the country, and with our elderly population and our not real healthy population, I'm, we're sure that there's cases out there. Just the testing has not brought them forward. But of course, you know the answer people ask: Well, how come West Virginia doesn't have any cases? Well, we do, but they're in Richmond, and they think they're in West Virginia. Well, best of luck there. Uh, we hope uh, things. Uh go as smoothly as they possibly can uh during this uncertain time and uh and we look forward to catching back up with you again soon and uh see how things are going okay great thanks thank you that is dave Lariba, executive director of west virginia soccer association uh he is uh doing uh, really good work and uh, always wants to see uh, great things happen within uh, American soccer and uh, we need more like him throughout the Federation good guy um, speaking of, of good things and good organizations Charity Water is a great organization that provides clean drinking water to people all over the world and you can be a part of that story at charitywater.org we'll be right back after this No one, no man, no woman, no child should ever have to drink. 
green water with bugs, with algae, with disease in it. Bad water and a lack of toilets kills more people than all the wars in the world. We know how to bring clean drinking water right now to every single person on earth. And when you can bring water into communities, it truly transforms them. It changes everything. Now you could know that you'd made a difference. You could know that you had truly impacted the lives of a family, of a community, of a region. There was either clean water or there wasn't. We believe in a world where every single person has clean and safe water to drink, and we will continue fighting until that happens. to the show um as we wrap up uh today i just wanted to leave you with a, a couple quick uh points and uh, one of those is an announcement thursday night 9 p.m eastern standard time and we'll have more information out on social media channels today tomorrow and thursday promoting this thursday night uh we are doing a soccer works special uh if you don't remember soccer works soccer works uh is the predecessor to this show it was a short form podcast uh for the most part and then it morphed into some longer interviews and then eventually transitioned and led us into the daniel workman show that you you see each and every weekday morning um and and so uh we are bringing back soccer works um now uh at this this thursday will be a tv special soccer works will be a tv special it will be uh broadcast uh through a, a variety of uh social media platforms online uh platforms for you to be able to watch it live and interact we are working on some interactive um you know opportunities for the audience uh to chime in as well uh we are putting together a panel of guests uh, uh as well through uh who, who are you know parts of uh the american soccer landscape in different areas and different levels uh and we'll have more announcements on that over the next few days um uh, leading up to thursday night at 9 p.m eastern standard time uh but this soccer work special uh is a is a, a production that we are putting together with begatv.com and uh and so we are looking forward to that we are um probably uh, not going to 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 do the full studio setup uh, that we uh, were were originally aiming for. We will probably wait until the coronavirus uh, situation is is under control. Um, and don't want to don't want to get uh, too many people uh, or as few people as possible uh, in in a you know questionable situation. So uh, we, we will uh, we we will do things in a little bit different manner than we will than we would normally like to do with our soccer works. TV specials. Uh, this one will be um, a lot more, um, um, you know, low key and, and remote for everyone. Um, but uh, we we do feel like it's it's a good time and necessary to go on and pull a trigger and and do this first special Thursday evening, nine p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, and so would, uh, would love to, uh, to, to have you tune in. We'll have more information about that. Uh, like I said, today, tomorrow and Thursday leading up to that. Uh, last thing I will say, uh, when we, when we're looking at the board and, and different things, and we'll probably have a, a, another blog article about this today. Uh, but a comment from, uh, the associate director of the Yale school of management, Yale school of management, uh, it, regardless the the board of directors and the fact that they didn't know uh, about or, or claiming they didn't know about the legal briefs uh, and and all of the uh, the things uh, surrounding um, you know the U.S. Women's National Team legal strategy and tactics. Um, 
this this from uh, the associate director of the Yale School of Management, Jen McFadden. Also, they have a responsibility to know if they didn't. That's even more cause for them to be removed. Um, you know that is. Uh, very strong language uh, from someone who would know that from the Yale School of Management, associate um, director of the Yale School of Management, and uh, and we'll probably have some more on that, more thoughts on that um, throughout uh, the day. That'll probably be released uh, on the blog, so stay tuned to that as well. You can read that at DanielWorkman.com. Thanks for watching the show. As always, you can watch on BigaTV.com. You can watch on Twitter on Facebook.com forward slash W. WRKMN uh, on a variety of, of other platforms. You can you can catch me on Twitter or Instagram at Daniel Workman. DMs are open. Thanks for watching. We'll see everyone again tomorrow.